This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kolarsep, and it is another Saturday in the books. But it's not your ordinary Saturday. It's actually a pretty crazy weekend in the soccer world. There's some huge games over in Europe. And uh, we'll touch on that a little toward the end. But obviously here we talk American soccer. And there are plenty of storylines and plenty of big topics to get into uh, after what was a very, very crazy week. Uh, all sorts of stuff uh, going on. You had you had uh, transfers. You had trades. You had roster announcements, friendly announcements. You had, you had people uh, making outrageous and racist comments. Um, you name it, it happened this past week. So we'll try to touch on as much of that as possible. We also have a guest. Uh, joining us is Huddersfield Town slash U.S. Men's National Team midfielder Dwayne Holmes. He's in the house. He's going to be joining us from England uh, to talk about his his recent move back to Huddersfield Town, uh, his uh, hopes for returning to the U.S. Men's National Team, his experience with the U.S. Men's National Team, and and uh, a few other topics uh, that we we had a chance to catch up with him. And and obviously, for those who remember. He was going to be part of the 2019 U.S. Gold Cup team. Uh, unfortunately, he got injured right before that, so he didn't get a chance to play in that tournament. But he's uh, he's someone who absolutely could be back into the picture with the U.S. men's national team, especially with the busy 2021 that the U.S. MNT has. So we'll, we'll catch up with him. Uh, but first things first, we will talk U.S. men's national team and the announcement that they are they've lined up their next opponent the the second of the two march friendlies they now have an opponent and we know who it is it is a familiar opponent it is jamaica and i know some people as as we talked about last episode when i mentioned jamaica as a possibility i know some people are going to be a little disappointed they're going to think you know like really jamaica like in a, in a march window where you would hope they'd get to play some of these european powerhouses but as i said i've said before uh, just because you want to play those teams doesn't mean those teams are available. Doesn't mean you know those teams don't already have have friendlies lined up. So you know you're going to play a Jamaica team that's a, a pretty solid team, and on top of the fact that they're a pretty solid Concacaf team, they're also a team that is ready to bring in some new faces. Uh, they've actually. Uh, hit the uh, dual national market and uh, the reports out of England are that they, they've actually targeted several, uh, you know, quality players who are dual nationals who are, are from England, but who have eligibility to play for Jamaica. And, you know, depending on how many of those players uh, can get their passports in time, you could see uh, the Jamaican team have a different look to it than, than we're used to saying. So you could see several new faces in that Jamaica squad and that's great. I mean, hopefully that happens because it, it'll mean a tougher opponent, uh, a better opponent for the U.S. men's national team. And, and you know, if you can't go get a European power, then why not get a, a revamped uh, CONCACAF opponent that, that's going to have some some new talent in the picture. So I, I think that uh, that can make for an interesting March friendly. And again, for those who forgot, the U.S. is also playing Northern Ireland. So those are the two friendlies for March. Uh, for now, and you know, hopefully, knock on wood, there's nothing that changes, and uh, we don't have any any friendlies canceled or any any March matches canceled. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about European teams not releasing players because of uh, you know all the restrictions, the COVID restrictions, and, and there's some real questions, uh, some real doubts about South American World Cup qualifying, which is returning in March, and and, it, and there are some important matches there that you know their European clubs aren't ready to release players for, and. Uh, FIFA changed some of its rules that they they now allow teams to 
pause or or not release players for some of these some of these qualifiers. Even though obviously under normal circumstances teams would have to release a player for qualifying, but given the fact that you know in certain instances players might have to go into a ten day quarantine upon return from certain countries. It, it you know teams are like well you know we're going to be losing players for for like a month or two to three weeks and and that's just too much and FIFA listened and obliged and because of that you could see uh, South America just you know have to push their their qualifiers have to postpone the qualifiers that were set for March and you know obviously for the U S it's not a it's not a, a thing because qualifying in in Concacaf at least for the United States is not till the fall so it's not it's not something for them to concern themselves with, but you wonder, is there going to be some spillover from the standpoint of if teams uh, succeed in, in getting these qualifiers canceled, these, these, these ball South American qualifiers postponed, will some teams also say, well, you know what? We don't want our guys leaving for friendlies either. And, you know, could that lead to situations where, you know, you, you have some players who aren't, aren't released and aren't allowed to play in the March friendlies. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, obviously I think the U S uh, the reason the United States chose Austria as their kind of, uh, Central, I believe it's going to be their central location uh, when they're not in Belfast for the Northern Ireland friendly. I believe they're going to set up shop in Austria. I could be wrong, um, but I think part of the reason for that was because of it, there wouldn't be those kind of restrictions and, and it would be easier to get players released and, and have get players in and out. And, um, you know, hopefully that's the case because, you know, this is obviously the last chance to see the full U.S. team before the Nations League in the summer. Um, so you want to get as, as close to a full-strength team as you can. And I, I think we are still probably two weeks away from finding out who the U.S. is going to call up, who the players are that are going to make up that that March squad. But, you know, hopefully it's it's everyone that Burhalter wants. And hopefully there's no situations like a Chelsea saying, you know what, we don't want to let Pulisic go. Or, you know, Barcelona with Serginho Dest or, or, or Juventus with McKinney. You know, hopefully all, all these players are there for the March friendly. So you can really see a full strength U S men's national team and have a sense of what Burhalter has to work with as, as we get into the games that count uh, starting in the summer and moving on, we have Olympic qualifying training camp kicked off uh, this past week and Jason Christ trimmed down his preliminary squad. Obviously the preliminary roster had 48 players and they announced the training camp squad of 31 players. Although that number was a little misleading because three of those players were not released by their team. And those three players were from Atlanta United, which really has complicated things for, for the U.S. under 23s and for Jason Christ, uh, particularly with Miles Robinson. You're talking about a guy who's going to be the, the, the defensive kind of anchor of the central, you know, the central defense anchor for them. Uh, for that U23 team. And I had a chance to ask Jason Christ about that, uh, about that very topic and the fact that Atlanta did not release its players. Jason, uh, regarding the Atlanta United players, the, there's reports out that they, that they won't be available for this, uh, but they weren't obviously on the roster. Can you talk, what's the status of those guys? And if you don't have them, and if you don't have a Miles Robinson, kind of what's kind of the state of your, your center back options? Yeah, you know, Atlanta was a was an interesting situation there's they've had two to three players i would say would have been very very big contributors for us in this camp we've been working for the past couple of weeks on trying to come to uh, a solution that would be beneficial for both parties 
Obviously, as I said, these were going to be um, big, big players for us in this qualification process. Uh, Atlanta you know, wanted to keep the players because they're in CONCACAF Champions League. They were also concerned with some COVID stuff. And so we thought we had moved to a solution that was going to work. And over the weekend, we found out that Atlanta ultimately decided to not make those players available to us. So unfortunate situation for us, unfortunate situation for the players. But ultimately, you know, as a former MLS coach, I think we have to respect the decision. And as far as center back and, and your options there, how do you feel about the group that you have coming in for that? Yeah, you know, Miles um, Miles is a player that, that actually I hadn't been able to work with too much. only had him in, uh, in my very first camp in March of 2019. Uh, and so to not have him off between then and January of this year, was, I was really interested to see how he did. Uh, and he was great in the camp. He was really, really good. And so I was super, super excited to to hopefully have him in this qualification process. To not have him, I think, is a pretty big blow to us. Um, but I do think that we've got four center backs right behind him, and, and Vlad, Kessler, uh, Pineda, and Trusty that have all gotten significant minutes and significant experience at the very highest level in the U.S. in the past year. So we believe that we've still got a deep enough and strong enough group. Later on, I also uh, was able to ask Christ about uh, the goalkeeper position and see uh, JT Marcinkowski. Uh, I had I had heard that he had picked up uh, an injury at some point, but it sounds like he's okay there. And also asked about the Cole Bassett and Gianluca Busio situations where you had two players who were not part of the January U23 camp, but Bassett was included in the Olympic training camp squad, but G- Gianluca Busio was not, which again was a little surprising given how great a year he had in MLS. But, you know, I was obviously able to ask Jason Christ about that. And, and, you know, he kind of tried to lay out, you know, why exactly he didn't bring him. Uh, regarding uh, the health status of certain guys uh, uh, at goalkeeper, uh, Marcinkowski, I believe, might have been dealing with something coming into there. What, 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 where's his status in terms of physically and, 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 and injury wise? And, and as far as some of the young guys that, that weren't a part of the January group, uh, Cole Bassett and Busio weren't in January. Now Bassett is in this group. What, what did you, what, what kind of made you bring him in? And, and as far as Busio goes, was it just a numbers game or, or was he not available? JT um, actually wrote, uh, rolled his ankle in the last week of, uh, of the January camp. So we knew about his injury situation. We knew that it looked like a three to four week, recovery process we've been monitoring it very very closely he's taking major steps forward so he comes into this this camp in this very first week with just a slightly modified training program we believe that everything should continue forward there and we shouldn't have any hiccups uh the next part of the question was about was about facet and busio correct yes so so from my from my point of view you know any of the players and i communicated with the players any of the guys that that didn't come in january that had been in with us before, I made sure that they understood that this doesn't mean that you're out of consideration for the qualification roster. So you have two different situations there. You have Bassett, who was a player that was with us in December, showed some really interesting things, um, but ultimately got left off of the January camp because we wanted to look at some other players. And so based on what he did in December meant that he was in a good place for, for the March qualification roster or for this roster that's going to get us ready for qualification. And ultimately, we have to make those decisions from. Whereas Busio is still a player that we think has a tremendously high potential um, and is showing very well in MLS, but he's a guy that we haven't been able to have into a camp yet. And so from my point of view, to have somebody in for this camp who's absolutely brand new is a really difficult, difficult thing for that player and probably makes them a little bit of an outsider looking in. So 
ultimately that's why he wasn't uh, wasn't chosen to, to be here. Among the other headlines from that Olympic qualifying training camp squad, uh, Efrain Alvarez was not part of the team. No surprise there. I'm pretty sure I covered that last episode uh, as far as why Alvarez wouldn't be part of it, because let's face it, you know, he doesn't have to make a decision now on his national team. Um, and in order for him to play for the U.S., he would basically now have to make a decision, whereas, you know, he can still play for Mexico and have and keep his options open. And as of right now, um, I don't think Mexico has released their Olympic qualifying squad. So I don't know if Alvarez is going to be on it. But what we do know at this point is that Alvarez has not made a long term decision as far as his national team future. And also with the Olympic qualifying training camp squad, uh, for me, probably the biggest snub uh, of the whole uh, of the whole setup had to be Jeremy Ibobisi. Uh The Portland Timber striker did not make the preliminary squad. And, you know, you kind of ask yourself, how in the world uh, do you take does a player like uh, like Ibobisi who's who, who's had uh, such a track record of scoring goals in MLS uh, and also you know has that versatility how would he not make the squad and you know Jason Christ made it clear that you know he it was it was his decision it wasn't an injury issue it wasn't you know anything you know it wasn't Portland not releasing him it came right down to Jason Christ made the decision not to call up Ibobisi. Now, as Christ noted, they, you know they they this team is probably going to have two strikers uh, to work with. Sebastian Soto is obviously number one, but then you have Jesus Ferreira, who showed in the U.S. Senior Teams friendly in the big win against Trinidad that uh, you know that he can play as a false nine, and, and that's who you're going to roll with. And you know that being said, it, you know the fact that Ricardo Pepe was called in but not Ebobisi was a little interesting. And you know, looking at it, looking at it on the surface, it kind of I mean, it's hard not to see it for what it is, which is obviously with Ricardo Pepe being a dual national, you want to bring him in, you want to give him a taste of the setup and let him and kind of show him that, you know what, you're in our plans, we rate you, here you are, you're going to have your chance, although more than likely he's probably not going to make the team. But I'm sorry, for me, I don't see how you you bring a Pepe, but you don't bring any Bobasi and you don't give any, you don't give a Bobasi a chance to really fight for a spot on this team. And I, I don't know. I think for me, when, when I looked at the, at the selections, it's, I mean, I think that was the hardest one to kind of defend, but again, it comes down to, you know, who they rate, who Jason Christ rates and also what they've seen in recent camps. And if they didn't like what they saw, you know, if they didn't like what they saw from Abobasi in the recent camps, then I guess that's what it comes down to. But I don't know. I think for me, it, it that feels like a little bit of a mistake. I think Abobasi would have absolutely been a big, uh, a big contributor, potential big contributor for this team. Now, the rosters for Olympic qualifying are due ten days prior to the start of the competition, which will, uh, which basically works out to March eighth. And uh, I think what one interesting development on that Olympic qualifying team is the fact that. Uh, Hassani Dotson is uh, is scheduled to speak to the media on Monday, which is Monday, uh, March eighth. So, if Hassani Dotson is speaking to the media, you would think he's making to, making the team, right? And uh, I think that's an interesting one. He he was uh, on the roster that didn't get to play a year ago. He made the final twenty man roster, the Minnesota United uh, midfielder slash fullback. Uh, you know, he had he wasn't necessarily kind of considered an automatic selection for this 20 man squad, but he is on the team. And you kind of wonder, 
uh, you know, about that competition and, and in terms of versatility, because right back, they don't need them really. They have Aaron Herrera. They have Julian Araujo uh, defensive midfield. You have some other options there. Obviously, Jackson Ewell, Johnny Cardozo. But is Johnny Cardozo going to be available? He's playing right now with Internacional. They, they're playing in a different competition right now. And uh, you wonder, is he going to be available? Is he going to be released in time? So I just think that's interesting that Dotson is it looks like he's going to make the team. And, and you know, you can understand. I mean, he's a versatile player and he's someone that they know well. And as I said before, he was going to be on the, the team uh, the roster that was uh, selected a year ago. Uh, once again, that Olympic qualifying tournament kicks off on March 18th in Jalisco, Mexico. Uh, the United States opens uh, playing against Costa Rica, and uh, the second group match takes place the next Sunday on the 21st of March against the Dominican Republic. And then they close out group play against Mexico, and that's the big one right there. Uh, Mexico on Wednesday, March 24th. And Obviously, uh, you know, if you're in that group, you, you need to finish in the top two. Ideally, you want to win the group uh, to, to have yourselves a potentially easier path into the semifinals and, and the top two teams make it. So you need to get to the final to get to the Olympics. And, you know, it's not it's not an easy path. That Costa Rica team is a tricky one. So that that first game right off the bat uh, against Costa Rica, you have to win that, right? Because if you happen to lose to Costa Rica, then then you're in a do or die against Mexico, and you don't want to you don't want to put yourself in that situation. Especially you're playing in Mexico. Although I, I'm not sure what the fan situation is there, or if they're going to have fans at these games. But still, the U.S. As much as you know, they obviously have issues with with having players released and having you know everyone that they want all hands on deck, and having some players that have moved on to Europe. Now. Now, like Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie, it's not going to be the same team that it could have been a year ago. It's a much different team. I mean, if you look at the roster that was chosen a year ago, you had McKenzie, Aronson, Reggie Cannon, uh, Richie Ledesma. I mean, look at when you think about those guys. I mean, those all every single one of those players you could see being a starter on that team if they had played a year ago. And here we are a year later. None of those guys are available. Obviously, Desmond's hurt. The other three transferred to Europe and are playing regularly now in Europe. So that's opened the door for some new players. And now the Atlanta guys are not going to be there. And that's a huge one. So we'll see what the final roster looks like. And uh, obviously, when that's announced, we'll, we'll touch on that uh, most likely on the next episode. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing what this team can do. And obviously, there's been so many horror stories and so many nightmares about Olympic qualifying in past cycles, but I have a feeling this team's going to do pretty well. In other U.S. soccer news, we have to talk about Seth John, the athletic, the athletes council representative, although he's now former athletes council representative who was kicked off the athletes council for making some uh, outright racist comments uh, recently at, at, a, at a general council meeting uh, when there was a an opportunity to speak on the decision to rescind the rule uh, that required players to stand for the national anthem. And obviously you have some people who feel a certain way about the whole idea of standing for the anthem and, and, and do not buy into uh, the protests that 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 so many players, uh, I believe, starting with Megan Rapino, at least in the soccer space in terms of U.S. soccer. Obviously, Megan Rapino is one of the first to really kind of put herself out there and really, uh, you know, get into the into the protesting and taking a knee. And obviously, we know Colin Kaepernick was was the the, the first real high profile athlete to do that. Um, and it's kind of taken on a life of its own now. Obviously, you have entire you know MLS and even now in Europe. Obviously, throughout Europe, the the taking the knee has has become kind of the the, the normal thing to to show support for and to, 
to, you know, basically to lend support uh, and to show support for the fight against racism. And obviously you have some people who don't understand that and who kind of, uh, you know, misconstrue what it's about and, and, and make it about the the perceived offense of, uh, you know, denigrating the flag, according to some people, uh, by protesting during the national anthem. And obviously Seth John felt a way about it. And it's one thing, listen, you can have an issue. You can, you know, have an opinion on, on whether or not people should stand or not stand. That's what, that, that's, you know what, that's an argument that some people are going to make. And, and, and you listen to those, but you know, him, for him to go on this entire absurd rant, um, you know, basically trying to downplay slavery and, and downplay uh, the plight of, of black people in America. I mean, it was just ridiculous. It was ridiculous, sickening. And you know what? You, I don't care if you know Seth John and you, you think he's the nicest guy in the world and you never and you've never had a bad thing to say about the guy. When it comes down to it, he said some just aberrant and awful things and just makes you wonder, you know, just the, the kind of person he is, what kind of person can say the kind of things that he said. And I think it was great to see the athletes council step up and get and kick him off because you can't have someone like that uh, in that kind of position. You just can't. And I thought it was really fitting that uh, Brianna Pinto, the young U S women's national team prospect who is black was one of the, she was one of the uh, people on the athletes council who made the announcement that, yeah, he's out of there. And, you know, I thought that was pretty fitting. And it's unfortunate that you still have people in in the country, let alone the American soccer space, who feel uh, the way that that Seth John's Seth John feels on, on some of these issues. It's it's just disappointing and, and, and ridiculous, to be honest. And the, the fact remains, you have a, a segment of the populace. You have a sec- segment of the population that, that has bought into a lot of kind of racist tropes and, and racist ideologies. And it's it's sad, really. It's sad and it's disappointing. But what it, what you can't have is, is people uh, in leadership positions in American soccer who are outwardly uh, supporting and pushing and parting off these views. You can't have it. And, and bravo to the Athletes Council for stepping up and giving Seth John the boot because it had to happen. They had, there was no choice. And if anything, I think U.S. soccer really needs to take a closer look at a lot of things, whether it's the diverse, the, the, the overall diversity of the athletes, uh, of not the Athletes Council so much, but of the overall kind of body of leadership in American soccer, obviously the, in terms of representation across the country, um, because the fact is the, the, the face of American soccer is changing and you, and you look at the, the men's and the women's national teams, you're seeing it, you're seeing more and more diversity in the player pool and you're seeing the game, which for so many years was considered, uh, you know, a, a white person's sport in America, you know, the affluent were, were the ones who could afford to play or who did play soccer. And obviously that's changing. It's pretty clearly changing and you're seeing the more diversity in American soccer, and that needs to show in the leadership as well. And I think uh, U.S. soccer could, could could stand to to make some progress on that front. Now, moving on to the Americans abroad front, and, and there's so much to get into uh, in terms of things that are hap- that happened already, and things that are happening in the future. First things first, uh, some news over the weekend: Gio Reyna is not going to be available, and is and will not play in the big uh, Bundesliga showdown between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. Uh, uh, Reyna, Jaden Sancho, and Rafael Guerrero are not available. They did not travel with the team. No word yet on what why those three players are not available obviously in the in the age of covid 
um, the natural kind of idea there is okay. Maybe they have COVID and, and they've tested positive, and they've had to, they have to be pulled out pulled out of uh, of being available for it. Obviously, that's not a situation that the the team is going to announce or put out there. So uh, it's unfortunate. Obviously, that's a that's a huge blow for Dortmund, and obviously for Reina, who's had a bit of a rough go in 2021. It's a disappointing one for him to not be able to take part in a big match like that. And obviously for Dortmund, not having Sancho and Guerrero, that's huge because they're obviously two big starters for Dortmund uh, as they're trying to climb back into the race for the top four. And then if you're RB Leipzig, you're not happy about that either because you're kind of counting on or hoping that Dortmund could trip up Bayern Munich and potentially open the door for Leipzig to move into into first place. Uh, but now, obviously, Dortmund's going to have their hands full against Bayern without, without those players. U.S. fans are going to obviously be disappointed, but, uh, you know, here's hoping that, that Rain is okay or, and if he's, if he is, you know, testing positive for COVID, that hopefully he recovers. Uh, obviously several American players have, have, have had COVID and, 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 gotten over it or they were asymptomatic hopefully for Reina knock on wood everything works out for him and, and he can get back healthy and get back on the field and and obviously you know U.S. fans are going to be hoping that he is available and back and healthy for those March friendlies because he's definitely a player you want to see in those matches uh, see what he can do uh, see his continued evolution as a U.S. men's national team player and uh, so here here's here's the Reina you know whatever is going on with him hopefully it works out and he's okay in the end moving on we have to talk about tyler adams uh tyler adams is absolutely on roll right now he's playing uh he's playing some of the best soccer of his career and he's doing it at a time when rb leipzig is also you know in a good position obviously they they had their their stumble in champions league Uh, they lost to liverpool in the first leg but in terms of league play they've really kind of turned it on and they're really putting the pressure on door on Bayern munich atop the bundesliga as of right now as as of this recording, they're two points behind Bayern. I believe if they win on Saturday, they'll move into first place, temp- at least temporarily, before Bayern plays uh, Dortmund. Uh, and, uh, that you know, as far as Tyler Adams goes, I think the most exciting development with Adams is the fact that the last few matches now, he's been playing in the defensive midfield role, his natural defensive midfield role for a long time now, or for, for at least a good chunk of, of the current season uh, recent months, Adams had been playing on the right wing, uh, either as a wing back or as an actual right midfielder. And, you know, obviously for some people, they're kind of like, wait a minute, that's not his best position. He's a defensive midfielder. But obviously on Leipzig, he, you know, he can fill a role there and, and he actually has looked pretty good in that position. However, since he's moved into defensive midfield, his natural position, defensive midfield role, he is taking it to a whole nother level and really, really is showing that form that that makes you so excited for him to play that role on the U.S. men's national team. So obviously... I think it's uh, the whole idea that, oh, you know, Berhalter would play him at right back. You know, I believe that. Look, that was a temporary experiment. That was a temporary thing that Berhalter was kind of looking at and, and kind of toying with the idea of having that hybrid right back defensive midfield role. And I completely understand what he was looking at in terms of that. And I know some people went crazy when he tried it and when he was doing it, but guess what? Look what, Ar- what look what RB Leipzig has done with Adams. RB Leipzig also likes Adams as someone who can play in defensive midfield, who can play right back, can play right wing back. He just has that kind of versatility. Uh, but look, he, him in the sixth role, he there is no one close 
to Tyler Adams in terms of being the best player for that defensive midfield role, especially if you're going to play uh, that kind of tr- mid- central midfield triangle where you want dueling tens, right? Which is Greg Barhalter's kind of pitched that for, for so long now that he wants to have two attacking midfielders. And obviously if he can have one of them be a bit more box to box and, and help cover some ground defensively, but you want to have that person at anchoring that midfield, right? Adams is that guy. He's there's no one close. No one has his work rate. No one has his range. Uh, and it, obviously the he just gives you everything you could possibly want in that role. So the fact that he is back into that role for Leipzig is huge. It's huge for the U.S. Um, just because it, obviously, look, Adams, he I, he'd still be effective even if he wasn't playing in defensive midfield for his club. But playing for his club in that role is only is only going to make him sharper when the real action starts for the U.S. men's national team. When the big games come and the and the you know the meaningful matches later in the year, you want Adams at his absolute sharpest. And if he can continue to start as a defensive midfield for for, Le- for Leipzig and play the way he's playing right now, the U.S. is going to be feeling pretty good about their chances in uh, in Concacaf to to kind of roll through the competition there because that Adams in the sixth role and then Weston McKinney as one of the tens. I mean, it doesn't matter who you put next to McKinney. I mean, whether it's Eunice Musa, whether it's uh, even a Pulisic or Reina or Dwayne Holmes or, you know, any, any of those players, uh, you're going to have a pretty solid central midfield trio in there. Now, Tyler Adams actually went up against a, a familiar face in the DFB Pokal. Uh, Adams and Leipzig defeated John Brooks and Wolfsburg to secure their place in the next round and, Slow down a Wolfsburg side that has been on, on an absolute tear. Wolfsburg is currently in third place in the Bundesliga uh, with the stingiest defense in the Bundesliga. But credit to RB Leipzig, they 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 got the the job done, and now they're moving on to the next round. And the one thing that is interesting uh, regarding not just Adams, but you also have uh, Josh Sargent still alive, Gio Reyna still alive in the DFB Pokal, but. You also have, and I'm kind of jumping the gun here because I haven't gotten into Serginho Dest in Barcelona. I should probably get into that, actually. Serginho Dest in Barcelona are in the Copa del Rey final. They defeated Sevilla. They came back from 2-0 down in the first leg, uh, came back in the second leg, and they won. And Dest is going to be in the Copa del Rey final. And what does that have to do with, with Tyler Adams? Well, the idea that you could have Americans playing in the domestic cup finals of the four biggest leagues in the in Europe uh, in the England Italy Germany and Spain you have the, you have the FA Cup Copa del Rey Copa Italia and the DFB Pokal you could have Americans in each of those finals you could have Americans winning each of those finals and that's pretty crazy when you think about it right not to say Americans have never won a, a, a cup domestic cup in Europe before I've, even in recent years you've seen Chris and Pulisic win um You've seen Americans uh, get their winner's medals, but to have a clean sweep and have at least one American potentially win each of those cups, right? I mean, in England, you have Pulisic, you have uh, um, Zach Steffen and Man City, and the way Man City's looking, I mean, who's beating them, right? So you could absolutely have an American in England. You have Weston McKinney already in the final in Italy. You have several uh, players in Germany. I believe you can you could have three of the four semifinalists with an American, um, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. And then you have Dest in Spain with 
Barcelona. And Barcelona's got a very good chance of winning the final. So uh, that's it's just great to see. And obviously, we hear so much about this golden generation. But you know what? When this generation is, is start can start racking up the trophies, that's really just another step in the evolution and another reason to get excited about this group. In other big Americans Abroad news, we have to talk about Weston McKinney securing the completion of his transfer from Schalke to Juventus. Look, this isn't really news, right? This was pretty much a foregone conclusion, but Juventus made it official, uh, triggering, uh, completing the the $22.3 million transfer for Weston McKinney. And obviously he's played more than 30 matches already for Juventus. So, you know, he, he might've, it might've already been an automatic trigger just based on the number of games that he's played. But either way, if you're Juventus, how happy are you with the way that this this deal worked out, right? Because you bring in McKinney on loan. Andrea Perlo was a big fan, and, and, and he thought he could fit something that they needed. He thought he could fit into a role, be bring the type of, uh, of qualities that they were lacking in midfield. And wouldn't you know it, he's absolutely been uh, the type of player. Uh, you know, he's very unique. They don't have someone else like him in their setup. Uh, and he's he's just taken off. He's just really crushed it. Even though it's been a bit of a disappointing season for Juventus, they're, they're 10 points out of first place. Looks like their, their, their Serie A title run is going to come to an end most likely. But it's not Wesley McKinney's fault, I'll tell you that. He's actually been one of their better players. And uh, it's great to see him complete his move, sign his contract, He's gonna, you know, he's under contract now for Juventus until I believe 2024. So, it's uh, it's brighter days ahead for for McKinney, and you know, he's, you know, they're playing in the Copa uh, Copa Italia final, so he could have a trophy there. They're still alive, obviously, in Champions League, and and things are going really well for McKinney, and uh, you know, he, you just want to see how far he can take it. So, uh, congrats to McKinney on the transfer. And heading back to England, we have Daryl DK scoring another goal for Barnsley in a win. And look, guess what? Barnsley is on a roll right now. And all of a sudden, they're knocking on the door for a place in the promotion playoffs. And, and I believe they, I think they have a six match winning streak since DK arrived. And uh, talk about paying uh, instant dividends, uh, immediate dividends, for the new acquisition. And uh, it needs to be, I just feel like it needs to be reminded that, yes, there is a purchase option for Daryl DK in that loan agreement, but it's a number that is not something Barnsley's going to be able to pay, right? The only way Daryl DK goes to England this summer in a transfer is if one of the premier, if a Premier League team with some real money says, you know what, we want Daryl DK, hey, Barnsley. Buy him and we'll buy him off of you or here. We'll give you the money. You buy him. So we we don't have to, you know, it's already in the loan agreement. Um, But in terms of Barnsley having the money to buy DK, as far as my understanding goes, that the, the price, the purchase price on that is, is, is out of Barnsley price, Barnsley's price range. They're not doing it. So, but having said that, still, Daryl DK, the way he's, you know, just hit the ground running in, in the league championship and, you know, showing he can score goals. He's become a starter. He's helped carry them from lower, the bottom half, bottom half of the table to now pushing up for a top six place, pushing in for a potential promotion playoff spot. Uh, and that that's what you like to see, because guess what? Teams around the league, teams in England are looking at that and say, look, this uh, this young American kid came in and crushed it right off the bat. Maybe we need to go to MLS and see who who can help us there. Maybe, you know, we can start shopping in MLS uh, and not just league championship, even Premier League teams. Uh, not to say that they haven't already, but it just helps 
the next players that come along when you have success stories like Daryl DK. And you know what? Full credit to him. He's taking full advantage of it. And for a player who's in his second year as a pro, he already looks like a veteran, man. He's, he's, he's just, uh, just the way he's kind of made this seamless transition to the professional game and just, just looks so dominant. And uh, if you're Orlando City, you're feeling pretty good about things right now. And we're going to close out Americans Abroad by having an Americans Abroad player join us on the show and joining us from England, we have Huddersfield Town midfielder and U.S. Men's National Team midfielder, Dwayne Holmes. Dwayne, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Th- thank you for, for taking the time. Uh, d- definitely great to catch up. Uh, I know we had a chance to talk uh, before the Gold Cup back in 2019. Uh, time, time has flown by, obviously, a, a crazy year with the pandemic. Um, as, far, as far as you you're concerned, you're back at Huddersfield Town. And um, I just kind of wanted to get a sense of what that experience has been like uh, going back to the club that obviously you, you'd spend so much time with. Yeah, obviously, it's, it's really nice to be back home. Uh, I said it in my interview when I joined Huddersfield that I felt like I had a bit of unfinished business. I don't think they got to see the best of me. So to get the chance to go back and, and play for my hometown club was, was tremendous. And it's something that, that I, I look forward to and, and I'm, in, and I'm uh, enjoying and embracing it. How do you feel you're different now? Like the, the Dwayne Holmes that, that, that went back, like when you think back to where you were when you left, what's, what's, what do you feel like is the most different about you now? Definitely more, a lot more experience. 200 games later, um, played in, in the lower leagues, played in this, this league for two and a half years now. So um, I feel like I'm a, a lot more experienced, a lot more well-rounded. Um, and I feel like I can be a, a positive influence in the dressing room and, and be a real leader and, and influence the, the younger lads coming through because obviously I know what it takes to come through at that club and and I know what the fans expect and, and things like that. So I'm, like I say, I'm, I see myself as a more well-rounded footballer and, and a better person. Now, obviously, when you left, it, it was a it was a tough moment in your career. Uh, and I know you were kind of at a crossroads there as far as what would be the next step for you. Uh, was there anything from that experience when you having left that like left the bad taste in your mouth and made you can reconsider going back? Or did you kind of get over that pretty quickly? And, there, and, and it was an easy decision when you had the chance to go back. Um, no, it was an easy decision. Huddersfield gave me the chance to become a professional footballer. So I can't really hold any any grudges and, and things like that. The club wanted to go in a different direction. And looking back now, I probably didn't deserve a new contract and, and stuff like that but it gave me, it definitely gave me a desire to go and prove myself and I've done that and obviously I've ended I ended up back at Huddersfield with um, an exciting young coach and, and an exciting project so it's like I say it's something that I'm relishing. Now you I remember you you saying when when you when you left at the time that you left Huddersfield there was that kind of period maybe a few months where you weren't sure what would be the next step what what you would do whether you might consider, you know, leaving the game. Like when you think back to that period, I mean, how close were you or, or was it not quite that close that you were, you were ready to kind of, you know, go to school or do something different? No, it was, it was very close. I'd, I'd spoke about just um, packing up and, and going traveling and things like that. And, and just going and experiencing the world because at the time my world had come crashing down, obviously the club that I'd been at for 12 years, um, then be released was was heartbreaking so and then I found it I found it tough to find a club um without any experience no one really wanted to take a chance on me so yeah it was I was really close to 
to looking at other avenues and, and stuff like that. But thankfully, I, I went in at Scunthorpe and the rest is history, really. So now when, when you return uh, now here recently, when you returned to Huddersfield, did it, did it, did it feel like, you, like time had stood still or did it feel different? Like it, had it changed when you went there? Like what was it like when you first went back? Um, it was nice. Obviously, there was still some old faces there, so it was it was comfortable. But um, the place has definitely changed. It's it's improved a lot. Um, the style of play has changed. Obviously, the personnel in the dressing rooms changed and stuff like that. But to me, it was just nice to be pulling back into the training ground where I'd spent most of my younger years. So, like I say, I'm, I was just buzzing to get the call and and find out it was serious and. Uh, I really wanted it to happen, and it did. Now, as far as the U.S. men's national team goes, uh, last time we spoke was was before uh, back in 2019, before the Gold Cup, when you were uh, you're making your debut there. What, what what was your experience like with the the U.S. national team and being in that setup and getting that kind of first taste of of, of you know national team uh, soccer and and being in that group? Yeah, it was a dream come true, really, because I'd, I'd wanted to represent the U.S. for a long time. Um, never got the chance during the youth setup and stuff like that. So. When I got the call, I was obviously over the moon, and unfortunately, the injury set me back. But in a way, it's made me more hungry to to get back to my best and and hopefully get another shot. How do you feel like you did there? Because I I can tell you that you know when when you made your first appearances, you, you know U.S. fans were were excited for sure that they they liked what they saw, and there was that sense that you were you know you you were going to step in there and actually have a, a you know a pretty good role to play in that in that tournament potentially. Did you come away from that experience feeling like you put a good foot forward and that you you know you had a place there in, uh, going forward? Yeah, definitely feel like I, I didn't let myself down. Um... It was off the back of a really tough, grueling season, and um, unfortunately, my body just just couldn't keep up with it, and we've we've got to the bottom of them problems. So hopefully, that never happens again. Um, but I, I would say I'm I'm happy with how I played, uh, especially considering I was I was still carrying the quad injury. I weren't really 100. percent I could um, I could barely sprint and stuff like that. So so to get on the on the pitch twice and and represent my country was a massive honor and something that I'm really proud of. But like I say, I'm, I'm trying to get back to my best and, and hopefully get another chance to go there and show what I, what I can do at a hundred percent. Now your, your, fa- your family uh, had a chance to kind of experience that. I know you had mentioned that your dad was kind of a kind of kid in a candy store and that whole experience. What, what was that like for <laughs> them, them kind of seeing you, you know, go through that? Yeah, my dad, my dad really doesn't know a lot about football. Um, Obviously, obviously, he's it he, he was his first it was his first experience of a live game. Um, the first time he'd seen me play live as well, which was which I know was massive to him. Um, and he came with my stepmom and my uncle and stuff like that, and they they loved it. There was in the they they booked a room in the team hotel. They was trying to get pictures with the with the manager and with the players and stuff like that. So they really embraced it. So I know it's something that that my dad's really proud of, and he's he's got my shirt up in his room and stuff like that. So. I know it meant a lot to him to, to get to see me play. Now, now you, I know you, you grew up in England, but it sounds like you always had a connection to the U.S., like you felt the connection. Yeah. And I, I've spoken to other dual nationals in a similar situation. Like I've spoken to players who, who grew up in Germany, but they felt that connection to the U.S. What was it about the U.S. that kind of, kind of you know, gave that connection to you? To me, it's it's where I'm from. I was, I was born there, and obviously... Things didn't work out with my parents and stuff, but to me, that's where my heritage is, and um, it's it's always been a big part of my life. I tried to go back as much as I could and, and see my family and stuff. So it's not like 
it's just there by by right. It's right. it's something that I really embraced and and I, I loved being over there with my family and stuff like that when I was younger. So to to get the chance to represent my country was massive. Now, was it Georgia where you spent spent a good amount of time? Or yeah, Waynesboro is um, where my family's from. Waynesboro in Georgia. Right. And what was your favorite part about coming over here when you were younger? I'll be honest. It was the the weather and the food. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, it was um, no. It was it was great just to just to catch up with my aunties and my uncles and my cousins and because everyone lived so close together, we was always we was always so close and it was all the cousins sort of growing up and and things like that. It was it was really nice to just just be a part of the family again and and things like that. So yeah, going home was um was massive to me. Nice. Now, so did you ever pick up an American accent and take it back to England or, or cause I know sometimes is that, that stuff kind of happens. It happens both ways. Uh, you get Americans who spend time in England. They, they started with, you know, having a little accent. I not really, I had the American accent when I first came home, when <laughs> right. I first came to, um, to England. Um, but that disappeared within a month, I think. Right. Right. Uh, hence the, the Yorkshire accent. But, um, when I, when I went, one thing I did notice when I went home, I had to talk a lot slower. So sometimes my dad would tell me to talk in in, in <laughs> my American accent so that he could understand me because he said that I talked too fast. So, so yeah, sort of, I did have to put on a little bit of an accent, but nothing, nothing too country. No. Going back to the U.S. experience, the U.S. national team experience, w- w- I hear a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of players when they go into the camp setup and they go into the national team setup, that that they talk about kind of the the camaraderie there and the fact that, you know, it's a very welcoming environment. Um, so even if you're maybe a player who, who didn't come up in the, in the U S system, there's still kind of that welcoming thing that makes it kind of, you know, players gravitate to it. Did you feel that? Did you feel kind of like, like a, that welcoming environment to, you know, as a player, even though you didn't come from MLS or didn't come from, you know, raised in the U S. Yeah, definitely. Everyone was really friendly and, and open to conversations, which was nice. Um, I had a few players. I was asking a few players to try and teach me Spanish and stuff like that, just to <laughs> just to make conversation. But it was really it was really nice and welcoming, and I think it helped having um, a few players that I'd played against, obviously in England, like Cam Carter Vickers and Jedi and Tim, and players like that who obviously it's it's common ground to talk about football in England and stuff like that. So yeah, it was really welcoming and, and they all made it really easier. Now, as far as you as a soccer player growing up, who, who would you say were you, who, was there, was there any player that stood out that kind of was like your favorite player or someone that you kind of modeled your game after who, who was kind of your soccer, soccer idol or soccer idols growing up? All my English family are very big Liverpool fans. So obviously I grew up watching Liverpool and I just remember the 2005 Champions League final watching it with my grandma. Um, and since that day, really, I've, I wanted to be Steven Gerrard so bad. Um, <laughs> right. Just the the way that he carried the team through through thick and thin was something that I really looked up to. So I'd say probably Steven Gerrard as I was growing up. And as far as your your form goes in 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 the career in the last couple of years, you, you've had some injuries that that you've kind of dealt with and overcome, but you've also had some really good runs of form. Uh, what would you say is kind of the the area that you've improved the most in your game in the last couple of years? I've been trying to improve on my consistency and and consistently affecting games. Um, I think last season at Derby between maybe December and February, I was playing some really good stuff. Um, then unfortunately, I broke my leg. Um, but that's football. These things happen, and unfortunately, it's part and parcel of the game. But since I've moved back to Huddersfield, I've I've been working on my fitness and and stuff like that, and I've 
played the last five or six in a row, Saturday, Tuesday. So my body's back to 100%. And and when when you feel 100%, you normally play better. And I feel like I'm just starting to hit my stride again. Right. And what was that game like the, more recently? I know you had the, the two-goal game that was kind of a real high point early on there. What was that? What was that? Did that? Did you feel at home at that point? Like, okay, I'm back now. You get you put those two goals on the board. Yeah, I think... I think the biggest thing for me was we we really needed a win, right. um, and we and obviously joining joining back to Huddersfield, I, I I wanted to hit the ground running and and scoring two goals is obviously a nice a nice start, but um, we we've still got a lot of work to do and and we're looking forward to the challenge. Um, and on that, I just want to wish Jordan Morris a speedy recovery because obviously he was part of that game and he got injured and it's never nice to see. So. My thoughts and prayers got to him. He, he's actually part of a, this wave of Americans that have come over. There are quite a few more Americans in in the league championship now with Paul Ariola also on loan and Daryl DK at Barnsley. Are you kind of seeing that? And, and do you, do, when you know you're playing against an American, right, when you know there's an American on the other team, do you kind of go out of your way to kind of, you know, find them and, and reach out even though, even if maybe you haven't met them before? Yeah, definitely. Before the game against Swansea, I went over and, and wished uh, – Paul and Jordan, good luck. And obviously, it's it's nice to see familiar faces. And and obviously, um, Americans coming out of the comfort zone and coming over to England to to play the game and and see a different side of of football. So, yeah, it's definitely nice. And we all want each other to do well. Right. And and along those lines, do you see yourself one day maybe going to play in the U.S.? Because I know everyone gets asked that. I'm sure you get asked that as well. We hear about a lot of people, players in Europe, who'd like to try to play, come play in the U.S. Is that something maybe you could see yourself, you know, down the road? Yeah, there was a bit of interest um, last January to go to the MLS, but nothing really materialized. But it's definitely something that I've, I've spoke about to family and to my agent and he knows it is something that I want to do in the future so hopefully one day I, I can be over there and, and be playing in front of the American crowd. Right. Atlanta United right that's where you want to go you can just say <laughs> it now you just make your demand now and say I want to play for Atlanta that's it. Anywhere that'll have me but yeah. <laughs> one other topic I definitely wanted to ask you about um, you know obviously there's a lot of issues still going on and always will go on regarding racism and you've been someone who, who's who's you know I've been shy about, you know, combating it and speaking out against it. There's multiple instances in your career where you've kind of stepped up and spoken out about it. Um, How important is that for you to kind of take the, make those stands and take those positions and, and how, how good does it feel for you to see more and more players kind of using their voices and stepping up and, and kind of, you know, speaking out against racism? I think it's massively important because there's no place for it in, in society and definitely not in football. Um, And to me, it's just a sort of, if if I wouldn't stand up and 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 say what I believe is right, then then there's no point me being in the position that I am. Obviously, I've got a platform to use my voice, and and if I can use it to raise awareness on these things, then I'm going to do it. So um, I'd encourage everyone who experiences it to to speak out, and and thankfully more and more people are, and it's it's getting the recognition that it deserves. And so you you, you sense that that that, that players are. Are, are having a little more, you know, confidence to speak out, and and the more people that do speak out, the m- the more other players feel like they can speak out. Is that is that what you're seeing right now? Yeah, a hundred percent. I believe it's a snowball effect, and once once a few people have started raising the topic and raising the awareness, more and more people are are likely to to come forward and and share their experiences because it happens too much, and and if it's if it takes a few people to, to stand up and, and be counted, then 
hopefully everyone will, will follow suit and, and do the right thing. Now, now, obviously, it's been a tough year, a tough year and change now with the pandemic and, and everyone having to deal with with the challenges of the pandemic. As far as you personally, obviously, it's, you know, as a player, you're playing in, in, in unique settings now, no fans. And also you're stuck at home a lot, as we all are. Is, is there anything you've kind of picked up in terms of habits or, or hobbies or, or things to help you pass the time or learn a language? Like, what have you done to kind of help you kind of mentally deal with this? I think at the start of lockdown, I, I lost... Um one of my best friends in a in a tragic event um so lockdown came at a good time for me because i needed to keep my mind busy and and things like that and it, I, I tried to teach myself guitar um so i spent a lot of time watching tutorials on the internet and just playing away on my guitar to keep my mind busy and since i've joined back at Huddersfield, i've started um learning spanish because everyone coaching staff are spanish and we've got a few spanish players and i think it's important to to try and make especially the, the players feel as comfortable as possible so if i can have a little conversation with them in in their language hopefully it'll um it just opens a opens a door for communication so i've been, I've been trying to learn a bit of spanish yeah how good is it so far can you hold the conversation or is it more you can understand now it's more i pick up on key words and sort of try and piece the rest together but they, they all talk really quick so right well, that, that, <laughs> it's a bit tough. That's a great way to learn, though, right? When you're around people on a regular basis, that that's the that's the best way to learn it quickly is is to have that. Uh, my family's Peruvian, so I, I speak Spanish, and you know, when I became a sports sports writer covering soccer, anytime I could be around Spanish soccer players and just get the daily practice, it just makes all the difference in the world. So, uh, are you you gonna? It sounds like you're gonna surprise some people the next time you're in the U.S. camp, and and you're gonna drop some Spanish. Is that is that that's what you're gonna do? I'll try my best. Yeah, I'll try my best. Um, I've changed my phone into Spanish and <laughs> and nice. I listen to listen to the audio books on the drive into training. So hopefully, um, it'll keep improving. And that, now, have you have you spoken to Greg Berhalter? Have you kept in touch with Greg Berhalter? I know he he he's he has a, a reputation for just being able to keep in touch with people, and and there's always the text groups and all that. Have you have you had conversations with him? Yeah, I spoke to him at the start of the season and just before I got my move and stuff like that, and. Like you say, he's really good at keeping in touch and there's a lot of games coming up and he basically just said, uh, keep fit and, and, and do your best to put yourself in contention because they're still watching. So obviously that's a big motivation to me to, to try and be the best that I can to, to get back in the squad. How much do you keep track of kind of the, the group of players uh, that that are on the team? I mean, do you, do you find yourself kind of following that a, a bit more? Because obviously there are so many of these young Americans, young younger players that are kind of emerging now in, in this generation. Uh, are you kind of wa- keeping track of that a little more, or, not, or do you don't really have time for that? No, I'm trying. I'm trying to, but like you say, there's a there's a lot of players. Um, so it, it, it it's definitely been getting harder. But I definitely look at the players that, that go to the camps and stuff like that, and and see how they're doing and things. And like I say, I just want to get back to to me at 100% and give myself the best chance to, to get back in the squad. I know that there's a few uh, players who have kind of backgrounds in England who are, who are potentially going to play for the U.S. One is Yunus Musa, who's who's playing at Valencia now. And I think he, yeah. came, he came up in the Arsenal Academy. What would you say to someone like him that, that's kind of considering that? Obviously, it's a very personal decision, but what would kind of be your you know advice to someone like a Yunus Musa or even like a Folaren Balogun, who I think is at Arsenal, another one who's kind of eligible for, for the U.S.? What, what would you say to them from your experience? I think for me, it's it, everyone's everyone's different, and it, it's it's whatever they want to do and they, whatever they feel is right. But I had nothing but positive, nothing but a positive 
experience when I went with the US. So I would obviously encourage them to to go and and see what it's all about. And it's it's great group with great people and and great players coming through. So definitely want them to consider it. And and the more quality players that we have, the the better chances we have of doing well in tournaments and things like that. So for me, it's just about following what you think is right and and doing what you want to do. But like I say, I I'd encourage the players if they get the chance to to go and experience it. Now, now was there was there a player in the U.S. camp that you were with that that maybe impressed you or surprised you or that maybe you didn't know much about? But when you got into the camp, you're like, "Whoa, this guy's legit!" Like, was there anyone that kind of stood out in your mind? Um, obviously, I'd I'd watched Christian, um, and I knew what sort what a brilliant player he was. But when I was speaking to Jedi, I'm re- I'm really close with Jedi, and I was speaking to Jedi, and he he told me about Weston. Um, and I'd not mu- not seen much of him. I'd I'd heard his name and and things like that. But then I seen him in training. And I thought this guy has got got it all, and um, he was he was probably the most influential part of the squad when I was there watching him and and just enjoying how good he is at football and. So for me, I, th- I think Weston's a special, special talent. So the the, the Holmes McKinney combo in the middle might 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 be pretty uh, might not be too bad there. Maybe one uh, down the road. Yeah, I hope so. I'd love to um, I'd love to run the midfield with him and and learn from him and and play alongside him. Yeah. Well, one thing I remember about your your time there, you, in the appearances you made, you, you definitely showed that you do have an edge to your game. And people might think, oh, you're kind of maybe a flashier, attack minded player, but you're not def- you're not afraid to get stuck in there. I think you got a yellow maybe in your first game. What is that? Is that? It was fun. Yeah, that was my second game against oh, Venezuela. Right, right. I think we we're three 0 down, and um, I was watching from the sideline, eager to get on and, and put a tackle in because I think we were missing a bit of. A bit of that nasty edge, so um, I think that was the English side of me coming out. <laughs> right, right, right. So you you have that the kind of well. Is that always been your game, like part of your game, or is that something you've kind of added to your game? No, definitely. I think coming up from being um, seventeen to twenty, I had a coach at Huddersfield called Frankie Bunn, and and he was he was big on on winning both sides of the battle. Obviously the the mental and the physical side and and the physical is just as important so i think getting stuck in and putting yourself about and never shirking a tackle and and things like that are really important because it has an effect on the not just your opponent but your team if they see you winning every duel they want to they want to do the same and and things like that so i think it's a massive part and i think it's a big part of my game yeah Great, great. Well, I definitely appreciate the time, and uh, it, it was great to catch up once again. And I look forward to us speaking, hopefully, at a U.S. national team camp down the road. It's a big year, obviously, for the U.S. team between Nations League, Gold Cup, and, and World Cup qualifying. It sounds like you you have the ca- the calendar circle to hopefully be a part of one of those groups. Is that is that something kind of you're shooting for? Yeah, uh, like I say, I'm I'm just trying to put the best version of me on the pitch and put myself in the picture to get into one of the camps. So. Like you said, there's a lot of football to be played, and and hopefully I can can pull on the the USA strip again, and and like I say, show everyone what I can do when I'm at a hundred percent. Great, great. Well, thank thank you for the time, and uh, you know, hopefully we can catch up again soon. Thank you, mate. Appreciate that. And that's Dwayne Holmes. Uh, great to have him on. And and as I said, I believe during the interview, I, I had a chance to talk to to Dwayne before the Gold Cup. 
uh, in 2019, and he was he was very excited for that opportunity uh, to be a part of that team, and he was going to be part of that team before he, he came down with an injury that uh, you know he he just couldn't get over, and then he wasn't able to take part in that. Uh, but anyone who remembers his appearances before that in the in the games that he did play, I mean, I, I think people saw the quality that he can bring to the table, and if he's healthy and playing regularly for Huddersfield. Uh, which he is right now. I mean, I think I think he's absolutely someone that Greg Berhalter could call up for these March friendlies, and and the battle in central midfield is not an easy one, right? I mean, obviously you have Weston McKinney in there uh, in terms of the potential uh, number ten role positions, right? Uh, Eunice Moose is a prospect that absolutely you have to t- you have to talk about, although he has not committed himself yet to the United States, but he's someone you have to think about. Then you have Julian Green, who obviously uh, is having an outstanding season in Germany, although right now he's suffering from COVID-19. He's he's on the shelf because of COVID-19. So you kind of wonder, would, will he be back? Is he even someone that, that Berhalter is seriously considering? I know Berhalter has said that. Green is someone that they look that they've looked at and that he's on the radar. But it's one thing for Green to be on a list on a you know on a chalkboard somewhere, and something else entirely to be kind of an active member of the player pool. And that's kind of what I'm curious to see if Green continues to play the way he's playing. Is he going to really get his opportunity? And I think I've said it a hundred times now. I think for the Gold Cup. Uh, assuming his club, you know, assuming you know he he's available, I. I I think Green needs to get an opportunity. I don't know. I don't think that's going to come in the Nations League, but maybe in the Gold Cup. Um, but yes, the, the the competition in central midfield is pretty fierce. Uh, you have Seb- you have Sebastian Legette and Christian Roldan, obviously the uh, some other MLS options as well, and then you have these young players coming up, uh, like a Cole Bassett, like a Gianluca Busio, like a Frankie Amaya. Uh, you know, so it, it's a uh, it's it's going to be an interesting competition in that in those central midfield positions. And Dwayne Holmes is, is is someone that maybe I feel like people have forgotten about, but listen, he is absolutely the type of player that Greg Berhalter could bring it. And now we're going to close things out talking MLS and the big, the biggest story of the week, I believe uh, actually involves inter Miami and the, the reports that uh, MLS is investigating the blaze Matuidi signing. And for those who forget, uh, Matuidi was signed as a, uh, targeted allocation money player. He was not signed as a designated player, which definitely raised some eyebrows because you wondered how did Inter Miami convince Blaze Matuidi to come to MLS uh, for 1.5 million or whatever the maximum uh, TAM deal is, right? I mean, you're talking about a World Cup winner uh, playing at Juventus, uh, clearly making probably at least double uh, 1.5, if not more. How in the world did Inter Miami pull that off? And you know what? According to the reports, maybe it was something fishy. Maybe, you know, Beckham, David Beckham was, you know, paying Matuidi. I don't want to say off the books, but, you know, maybe there was money changing hands that wasn't part of his MLS uh, contract. And obviously, if if Inter Miami was circumventing the salary cap, that's going to be a real issue for MLS because, you know, you can't have a situation where... Uh, you know, a team is circumventing, you know, some uh, that kind of uh, the salary restrictions and by millions of dollars. Right. That's I mean, that's a whole nother level of, of, of kind of rule breaking. And I know some people say, wait a minute, don't teams uh, do all sorts of stuff with players, whether it's cars, whether it's apartments. And there's a lot of stuff going on in, in terms of that. I guarantee you uh, that much we know. 
um, that you know some you know some teams provide housing, some team some teams provide cars and and what have you. Uh, there might there I think there's definitely stuff like that going on, and there's stuff like that has gone on for years and years and years. But it's another thing altogether for you know a team to sign a player and him purportedly be a you know one point five million dollar player, and then have him making three four million dollars somehow, right? Because now you're talking like two million. Uh, one point five, two million, three million off the books. Three million uh, more than than uh, other teams are are able to work with because they're not they don't have a fourth designated player, which is what it seems like uh, Miami had. If this is in fact true, if this investigation yields uh, some real evidence that Miami really pulled off something shady, so we'll see what happens there. It's uh, do I think it happened? If you ask me if I was going to bet on it, I would bet that it happened. Absolutely, I would bet it would happen. It happened, and that Beckham would, you know, it, it, ironically enough, break his own rule, break the Beckham rule, right? Because when you think about designated player rule, the designated player rule was was the Beckham rule, right? Beckham, it was made for him, and now here he is breaking the rule allegedly so we'll see what happens there um obviously you wonder what kind of punishment mls is ready to dole out um are they gonna you know (laughs) it's not gonna be taking draft picks away because you know what i don't think miami cares about the draft picks but you know is there gonna be a fine um you know could it be even you know something crazier than that i I don't know but i tell you what if it comes out that they did pull that and that they basically had four designated players um it's kind of, if anything, it's a little embarrassing that they had four designated players and they still barely made the playoffs, which is, I mean, that's a bit of a joke when you think about it. Um, but hopefully it gets sorted out and, uh, you know, it, it, you can't have that. You can't have it. You can't have a team just completely uh, breaking the rules like that. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what evidence MLS can, can dig up and if it really is a thing and if this is really something that turns out to be uh, something that MLS can prove because there's what you know and there's what you can prove. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. There were some other interesting MLS deals. The New York Red Bulls signed Cameron Harper, the U.S. under 20 uh, winger uh, from Celtic. And that's a, I tell you what, he's an exciting prospect. And I had a chance to watch him a year ago, more a little more than a year ago now, with the U.S. under 20s. And he was one of the best players on that team, if not the best player. I think him and Cole Bassett were the two best players when they played, they played Mexico in a, in a under 20 friendly down uh, during the down in Bradenton when the U S men's national team was also down there uh, for January camp of last year of 2021 and Harper, man, he, he looked legit. Uh, He even trained with the full senior men's national team. Uh, I took a picture of him with Greg Berhalter kind of chatting and he's a absolute quality prospect. And as far as the Red Bulls go, obviously, definitely pushing more of their young, get younger narrative, right? Their 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 strategy, and that's that's kind of not a new thing for Red Bull in terms of Red Bull Global, right? Um, the idea has been for a while now to to go find young talent, develop that young talent, sell that young talent, and that's really been uh, something that you've seen at Sol- Red Bull Salzburg, RB Leipzig. Um, that it's it's part of the entire kind of ethos of of Red Bull Global and Red the New York Red Bulls have, have not always, uh, you know, it hasn't always been about that completely, right? Now it seems like there's more, even more of an emphasis on that. And the good news is, yes, you're going to have some promising young talent. You're going to have Harper, Caden Clark, Andres Reyes, also another uh, signing that I that I like, the young Colombian center back. But how competitive is this team going to be? 
Uh, is 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 a team full of promising youngsters going to compete for a title? And that's the question for me because I don't see it. I don't see it. I feel like I said it last episode. I didn't really see this team uh, being a contender. Are they going to make the playoffs? Sure. Um, could they could they uh, do well under Gerhard Struber and and could he put the pieces together to make them competitive and make them uh, a handful for teams and and get in the playoffs? Sure, absolutely. But are they winning an MLS Cup? No. Are they making an MLS Cup? No, I don't see it. I don't see them even coming close unless there's some signings down the pike in you know in the pipeline that we haven't heard about yet. Uh, I just don't see I don't see it and as much as yes it's it's promising to see the signings that they've made some of the young players that they're bringing in but I don't know I don't see this team breaking the 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 MLS Cup jinx uh, the the fact that this team has never won an MLS Cup and it was so close in 2018 um so I don't know I mean not to rain on the Red Bulls parade or Red Bulls fans parade because I'm sure they're they're excited about a signing like Cameron Harper because it's anytime a, you know the, the idea of a young American you know top U20 prospect being brought in like that that's huge right but I don't know I think I feel like it's going to be a long year for the Red Bulls I really do and uh, what happens then what if it's a bad what if it's a bad year what if this young thing does not work what if they can't get it to work and they, they're just kind of mediocre what do you do then do you shake things up again do you start spending some money? And what happens if NYCFC figures it out and continues to play well, continues to be one of the better teams and is a significantly better team than the Red Bulls? If you're if you're the Red Bulls, then you have problems because you cannot afford that in your market. We'll see. Uh, you know, I don't want to write the Red Bulls off. I really don't. But I'm not. I'm not confident in it, be, in it being a good year for the Red Bulls. Another signing that I thought was pretty interesting, Juan Agadello is joining Minnesota United. And as we say all the time, Adrian Heath loves a forward. He's all about bringing forwards in. And Agadello is an interesting one. He's a bit of an enigma. He's got all the talent. You know, he's, he's obviously a technical player. Uh, can Adrian Heath bring out the best in him? Can Adrian Heath kind of help unlock some of that potential that we've seen in in flashes uh and obviously minnesota united needed a they needed some striker depth and and my understanding is they're still you know planning to go bring in a uh, a designated player striker so it's not as if they need agadello to be their their main guy up top but uh, i like the signing i think i think he's someone who can who on that team with the talent that they have i think he's a nice complementary piece to that puzzle and last but certainly not least in the mls news front ray gaddis is retiring the Philadelphia Union fullback uh, is calling it a day after nine seasons, and it's a it's a it it's a it's a bittersweet moment because on one hand it's sad because you, you know he is you're talking about one of the absolute class acts of MLS. I mean, we're talking about a a, a pros pro. Uh, just someone in terms of role model, right? In terms of who is the definition of a role model, Ray Gaddis's definition. Not, and I, I'm not even talking about him being able to fashion a nine-year career after being a player who couldn't even get a combine invite. He did not even get an MLS combine invite initially. And here he is nine years later. He's the union leader in appearances and minutes. Like he's really put a career together. He caps it off with a supporter shield. I mean, if you're going to go out, go out in style with a trophy, right? I mean, that's great to see. But uh, the good news is Ray Gaddis, man, he's such an intelligent guy. He's such a humble person. He's he's someone who, if you're asking me if I could bet on him being a success, 
post as a you know in his post playing career and him actually being winding up being could he be that first MLS alumnus who's a congressman or you know a high level political figure or a real kind of business success I, I mean I think I think Ray Gaddis is destined for greatness even even beyond what he did as a player and that's saying a lot right because yeah he put together a pretty nice career but uh, you know, I, hopefully, in in a you know, it's probably being a little selfish here, but hopefully, I hope he stays involved in American soccer, right? Because he's just he's a special person, and you definitely feel like if he stays in soccer, he'll he'll be a success no matter what he does. But uh, that one's a little bittersweet, but I am excited to see what he does in the post playing career and that and i believe that's it that wraps it up for this episode of the sbi show it's uh it's a little bit of a late one we're dropping this saturday midday uh, you know i was hoping to try to get it out for the early morning uh luckily the the big big matches in europe are on sunday uh no offense to the matches that are taking place on saturday there are some good ones by the way uh and i you know i should look at the scoreboard right now and get see see what uh what matches are on tap uh you have Obviously, you have the Bayern Dortmund match, uh, which will probably come out just before this episode drops. But guess what? If you're an American fan, you're not a fan of either of those teams. There's no Giorena, so you can afford to, you know, you can listen to the show. You can listen to the SBI show and watch the, you know, watch it on mute. Watch the game on mute. Listen to the SBI show. Um, RB Leipzig is winning their match. So guess what? RB Leipzig could be. In first place uh, for at least an hour before the Bayern Munich Dortmund game, maybe a couple hours. Um, and then you have Juventus Lazio, uh, obviously Weston McKinney going against Lazio. That's a good one. But Sunday is the big one. You have some big matches there. Manchester City, Man United, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid. So right there, those are, those are two huge matchups that, uh, you know, I think, you, you know, everyone's going to want to. Uh, find time to watch and uh, you know uh, let's see I'm looking at the schedule right now for those of you who you know in case you're listening to this and you didn't know already when this when these matches are Atletico Madrid Real Madrid is at 10 15 a.m. Eastern time so you can watch that and if you want to keep watching it you can miss the first part of Manchester City Man United which starts at 11 30 p.m. Eastern but you want to watch both those games. Absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a heck of a heck of a way to spend your Sunday watching those two outstanding derbies uh, take place. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be chilling out and, uh, watching those and, uh, you know, looking ahead to what should be another big week in American soccer. We find out who the Olympic qualifying team is. We get closer to hearing who the U.S. men's national team squad is going to be for their March friendlies. And uh, there's always something going on. And, and I, I would definitely say that, you know, keep an eye out uh, this week. I am going to try to have an episode during the week and not not have it just be Saturday episodes. As I've said multiple times now, it will be multiple episodes eventually. And we'll see if this is the week. Hopefully, knock on what it is. Um, And we'll see. We have some guests lined up. I do have an interview scheduled for Monday with a guest for the next episode. I won't say who it is because I'll believe it when it's done that we have it lined up, but we do have it scheduled. So we'll see Well, we'll have a guest for the next episode. So uh, I definitely want to thank Dwayne Holmes for joining us. He was great. Uh, And definitely thank you for listening. If you have any questions, send them my way. Uh, And if you're, by the way, randomly, if you're on, if you're looking for an invite for clubhouse, let me know. Send me a, send me a DM on Twitter. Uh, I'm ready to, 
to start jumping into the to the clubhouse pool in terms of uh, discussing American soccer. I haven't done it yet. I do a lot of listening. Uh, I don't do a lot of soccer talk on there. I know some other people have done that, but I think it's time for me to get into my American soccer bag on clubhouse. So keep an eye out for that as I start getting that rolling. But again, if you need an invite, send me a DM uh, on Twitter and I'll see if I can hook you up. Cause I do have, I have like eight invites uh, that, you know, are just sitting, sitting there waiting for me to give them away. So if you need one, let me know and uh, I'll see if I can hook it up. But uh, I believe that's it. That's all for now. I'm Ivis Galarsa. This is the SBI show. <laughs>